1: While there's been no shortage of great stories shared here over the past many weeks, today's guest raises the bar to yet another level in terms of experience and the fulfillment of her life's dream. But before we unpack that, what more can be said about Wetzel's Pretzels CEO Jennifer Schumler? and her amazing journey into franchising. From straight out of college with a Stanford MBA in hand to brand management and new product development at General Mills, she worked on iconic brands like Yoplait and Big G Cereals, you know, like Wheaties, Lucky Charms, and Honey Nut Cheerios, before she found her way to the role of chief marketing officer at wetzel's and over the eight years that followed jennifer became president and now ceo thanks again for joining us jennifer and for inspiring us all with your amazing story so i open by saying that today's guest raises the bar yet another notch sharing her fascinating experience and journey this week i chat with jane grody abel a second generation franchise leader and her story is not about how franchising found her no it's about being born into the restaurant and franchise business and along the way her family had the golden opportunity to sell their company to none other than the golden arches that's right mcdonald's but better still they too had the chance to double down about four years later and actually buy it back We're talking Donato's today, folks, with Jane Grody Abel, an amazing advocate for women in business and philanthropy, and today she's a founding family member and chairwoman of the board at Donato's Pizza. Jane Grody Abel joins me right
0: here when we return. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% free programming options Jim Grody founded Donato's as a sophomore in college. His philosophy was simple, to make the best pizza and to treat others the way he would like to be treated. Jim built trust with his customers and a sense of goodwill in the neighborhood. And with Jim's very first restaurant connected to the Grody house, young daughter Jane very much grew up in the family business. Today, as chairwoman of the board and married to Tom Krause, CEO, Donato's very much remains a family business and enterprise. Jane Grody Abel, welcome to Franchise Today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
1: This is a real pleasure to have you here today. To have somebody from a brand like Donato's with me is a real treat because that's just an iconic brand. There's so much history to the Donato's story that hopefully in a short time we've got today We'll be able to roll it out to the audience because there is so much there to tell. But the first thing I've got to do is have a little fun because every week I talk about franchising being unintentional as a means of doing business. And then unless you're born into it, and I usually make Melanie Bergeron or AJ Titus an example today, Jane, you're my example. You were born into the Donato's brand, weren't you?
2: I most certainly was. I literally grew up. uh, It was, it was, Donato's was birthed shortly before I was. And then we grew up right behind our very first restaurant. So It has become definitely a family legacy, but uh, franchising has become a huge part of what we're doing.
1: And what was the birth of the business about? What was your dad's vision and what was he doing before he created Donato's?
2: So he started working in a pizza place when he was 14, 15 years of age. And before that, he was a paper boy. So I always say he went from being a paper boy and also worked on the side job as a plumber to a pizza maker. So I'm glad he picked pizza as we go (laughs) throughout our evolution. But as as a young man, my dad, at the age of 16, had the opportunity to buy his first pizza place, and he really wanted to do it, and he didn't necessarily want to do it because he wanted to grow pizza all over the world. He wanted to do it because he wanted to have an opportunity to bring his principals to work with him and be able to build a business based on love. And so my grandpa, who was also an entrepreneur, had his own grocery store. I said, no, you're not. You're of the one of the five kids you're gonna go to college. And so my dad went to The Ohio State University and sophomore year, while he was still making pizzas all along the way, he had an opportunity to purchase his first one for 1300 So he dropped out of Ohio State and opened up his very first pizza place.
1: And that was already called Donato's, wasn't it?
2: It was called Donato's, actually. The gentleman who started selling it out of his home, dad had worked for a couple different pizza places. His name was Don Potts. And Don Potts was in the seminary and he named it Donato's as he was selling to local establishments because it is a Latin derivative and Donato's, mean, denare means to give a good thing. And so my dad, I always joke, was smart enough not to name it Grody Pizza. <laughs> uh, Might have been popular in the 80s, but uh, not the best name. And so he purchased the name from Don Potts and started uh, selling pizza under the name of Donato's.
1: I just think that there is destiny there, that the culture that your dad was going to bring to the business was already named for the business that he bought, almost like it was by grand design.
2: I think it was by grand design because to be perfectly honest with you, he liked the name, but honestly, not until 1999 when we sold to McDonald's and McDonald's asked us what that name meant. We looked it up and then went and met with Don Potts and then Don Potts told us. So kind of an, even a greater grand design, right? Because my dad didn't even know that. But our mission statement has always been to promote goodwill through our product and service principles and people and give back to our community. And it is so synchronicity that it ended up being exactly what th- that we stood for.
1: I just think there are no coincidences. Another one of my favorite books was, I think James Redfield wrote that in Celestine Prophecy. There are no coincidences.
2: Yep,
1: love that book. So your business's culture is as much about the business as is the pizza, isn't it?
2: It, yeah, it is about really being able to provide a place for people where they can grow and learn and get back to the community. But we, we believe you'll like the statement, I think agape capitalism, all the businesses that my dad has evolved or grown or that we operate as a family all fall under the umbrella of agape capitalism and agape being the root for Greek being the most highest, truest form of love, which is unconditional love. And being able to do business based on love. And so we believe capitalism is important, although it can be polarizing when you're not speaking to business people, because you can make good money and do good things with it. And when good people are able to make money, they can do really good things with it.
1: I always summarize that in five words, doing well by doing good.
2: Love that. I love that. You know, and it's uh, similar to our three pillars under agape capitalism, which is leading with love, practicing the golden rule, and then doing the right thing.
1: So all of this began in what year?
2: 1963.
1: And when did it start to become a franchise model as opposed to a company-owned and operated model?
2: That's a great question. So we, my dad grew, actually, he had his first store. And then in the late 60s, early 70s, he decided to open up two more. And one gentleman actually franchised with him then. And then my dad would get phone calls in the middle of the night or late at night or on Friday nights just from customers saying the pizza's not the same. It doesn't taste the same. They ran out of pepperoni, so they put salami on it. Or So my dad shut them both down. And that was early 70s and was, just went to work to build a process and a process for making our pizza so that you could open up a Donato's and it would be the same every single time, no matter where you got it. So it's such a great lesson early on. And really I think a heroic and courageous act of my dad, not just shutting them down, but then saying, okay, I know I can do this, but we have to create the right systems for people so it can be consistent over time. And so that's when he started work on the matic because he wanted the pepperoni to be the same thickness every single time. And we have something in our kitchens called our operating platform, but we call it the Grody operating platform. And it has today, even he's working on improving it with automation. But the idea is that the pizza will taste the same. Now, if you're in Germany or if you're uh, in Columbus, Ohio, you would have the exact same product every single time. So honestly, McDonald's inspired us by the uh, ability for them to open up and be able to do it over time so consistently so what we started franchising though early in 1992 so it took us that long to get our platform right and our training and our all of our systems in place to really let ourselves franchise and as you know it's a proposition right when you put yourself out there and you allow other people to put their name on their building but you're not in control and so franchising is great and I have so many wonderful stories with it. But when we first started really truly franchising in nineteen ninety two, we went to the IFA, we did some consulting, but you also you have to learn to let go a little bit. It was probably our first lesson of letting go and allowing other people to grow with us in a very different way. Well,
1: I think franchise to me is a lot like another child it's at its early stages you have to nurture it and be involved with it every minute of every day to the place where it becomes a little more independent and you can kind of let go and then hopefully if everything goes the way everything should go and everybody's done what they should the way they should at the end of the day you let go completely and now it takes care of you instead of you taking care of it so to me it's the same life cycle
2: that's a great narrative it is very 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 true we have seen that, we've seen that now be cyclical and come around to the other end of it, which is nice.
1: So walk us forward from those years of the early franchise and what could have been, I guess Michael Gerber could have written about you the way he wrote about McDonald's if he discovered Donato's first, because it sounds <laughs> like a very parallel line.
2: Yeah, We have similar stories. It was interesting. So we started franchising in 1992 and you you learn a lot early on in the franchise days. And some of that was, who are you selecting to be partners with you? We call them franchise partners because we believe words have a lot of power. And we also don't call them royalties. We call them licensing fees. But when you are signing a franchise agreement for 20 years, sometimes, and unfortunately, a 20-year franchise agreement can last longer than most marriages, including mine. So it's important who you select. And I think at first, when we went down our path and journey, it was, we had a lot of brand fans and family fans. And so we brought in a lot of family. And so good learning lessons and making sure that the profile of the people are not only culturally aligned and core value aligned, but also want to grow with you. And so through the 90s, we we were franchising, we were in six different states, over 150 stores restaurants and that's when mcdonald's approached us and one of the reasons they actually um, because they were looking around the world for a pizza concept we can talk more about that if of interest and so they had been in every single one of our restaurants and what they found that they loved about our brand was what they told us was we had best in class pizza and best-in-class people. And so that was an important part for them, looking for someone to buy, that our systems were in place and that we were a very consistent brand. So we were not looking to sell. You know, when I was a little girl, we stood under the sign and I could hear my dad paint his vision of our future. And we were going to be around the world always, but we never talked about an exit strategy. But what we found when McDonald's approached us was it would be an incredible opportunity for us to grow our brand and really be able to have something on every corner where we could give back. But also the world's largest restaurant company probably had a pretty good idea on how to grow a business. And so we thought it was a great opportunity for our people. But also, I always say it was really a good opportunity for our family because in family businesses, you can oftentimes find yourself with the umbilical cord and sometimes in the business because you feel like you have to be in the business or because you feel loyal to the family and it's maybe not necessarily your true purpose. And so what it allowed everyone in my family to do was to have the emotional and the, the financial freedom to go and explore and do what they really really wanted to do to find their true purpose and then as McDonald's decided that we were not going to be partners anymore their stock hit an all-time low and my family had all left the business except my dad and I and uh, I heard on NPR that they were going to sell or close the business and that's when I said to my dad let's buy it back so I got an experience of franchising through a couple different lenses. One being the franchisor, then being a franchisee, and then coming back as a franchisor, family business again.
1: What an incredible opportunity! What a unique story! I mean. It's not every day that McDonald's is going to buy anybody's business, but then to have the luxury of not only selling it to them, but being able to purchase it back. Wow.
2: Yeah, they were great partners, I will say. My dad is super smart and visionary. And so when I was like, come on, dad, we have got to buy this business back. We have a destiny, which you used that word earlier, but we have a destiny. And we have 5,000 people counting on us. And I believe in our product, but more importantly, I believe in our people. And I need you because you're super smart. And I also need your money because there is no way I can do it and so he didn't blink twice he said absolutely if you can get a team together to do it which we did right I mean anytime you walk into something you are not I've never bought our family business back from the world's largest restaurant company so we put together a really great team and we presented our plan to buy it back and there was a team of people um, that were hired to present the plan to close it and sell it and we both presented our plans and we walked out of the room and came back in and we were very fortunate McDonald's said absolutely buy it back and was a good story we sold high and bought low if harvard business review ever did a case study it would look like we were very strategic but the reality is we did both out of passion for our purpose
1: well i think that's an awesome story and i guess now that you've got the second bite of the apple we're going to come back from a quick break and we're going to talk about what it is that your vision looked like buying it back i'm certain that there was a plan to take it from where mcdonald's had it. To where it is today. And you're going to tell us all about that on the other side of a very quick break. We're talking today with Jane Grody Abel, chairwoman of the board, founding family member, and the chief purpose officer at Donato's Pizza.
0: Franchise today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar
1: with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes
0: Zor Forum, a
1: somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform in this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And the conversation today with Jane Grody Abel continues, and the story is the Donato story. And I can't believe how much we've gotten into the first portion of the program, but a long way from the end, Jane. Tell us, buying it back from McDonald's, you did that with a clarity of vision, I'm sure. Where did your vision see it going?
2: Well, thank you for asking that question. We sold in 1999, and at that point, the vision was to really become a worldwide brand under the arches of McDonald's. And so when we bought it back in 2003, I really believed, my dad believed, and we believed in our mission and our promise and that we wanted to continue to build the business based on love. And so after we presented the plan and McDonald's agreed to it, and I have to tell you, we were losing $7.5 million when we bought the brand back. So we sold in 99 at a very high level and we bought it back losing millions of dollars. And Often people ask me like, why would you do that? And it is because I believed in our people and I believed in our product. but I also knew we had a destiny and that destiny was to be able to grow our business worldwide, internationally, where we can do business on every block and give back to the community and provide jobs and opportunities. And so that was the vision. At that time, when we bought the company back and you know, if I look back and say, what would I have done differently? We were in several states, and I really believed that we could continue operating our business in those states, so in Atlanta, in Orlando, in Philadelphia, and so we kept doing business, and unfortunately, shortly after that, had to make the decision to close those markets, and so part of that decision was hard, right, but sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward, and it wasn't fair for our people to ask them to continue to operate in a market that we couldn't fully support because they were all company stores. And so we made that decision. And I talk about the decision a lot because a lot of times when franchise closed, it's easier to close the door and put a, put a piece of paper on the door and say that we're no longer in business. But we didn't do that. So we sent letters out to our customers, letting them know when our final date was, We informed all of our associates and managers ahead of time. We gave them two weeks notice, but we also gave every single hourly and manager uh, associate a severance pay on the back end of that. And we held career fairs in every markets and everybody ended up with a job within two weeks. And that was an important part of you can enter a market with goodwill, but how do you exit with goodwill? And so that wasn't part of our plan, but it didn't get in the way of our purpose. And that happens oftentimes when you're building something. You can't let your plan be greater than your purpose. And you have to be able to understand and recognize that if you're going to stay true to your purpose, sometimes your plan has to change. And so we did that. And in that first year, we had a $10.5 million turnaround. And I honestly, and we can talk about culture all day long. It was all because of our people. And this sounds so cliche, but it is true. When you, people start caring about what they're doing, then they care about who they're working for, but they also care about who they're serving. And that really sparked a really big flame and really helped the soul and the spirit of the company come to life. So that turnaround was really important. But then, you know, like everybody, we started growing again through franchising, and then we hit the recession. And then in the most recent last five years we had red robin come to us and approach us so here's another lens on franchising red robin which is over 500 restaurants in a public company wanted to five years ago ask us to be in their kitchen as a ghost kitchen and a virtual kitchen so We were probably one of the first into the market. We said yes after making sure that they were the right partner. Only this time, Red Robin became a franchisee or a franchise partner of ours. So they pay us a development fee, and then we go into their restaurants, and we're on their menu. We're in their kitchen. Their associates are serving it, and it's been one of our most successful franchises out there.
1: They're tapped into an amazing story, and I lost out big time when you left Atlanta because my favorite Donato's was not too far from my home, and ironically, it is once again one of my favorite Italian restaurants, but it's not a franchise anymore, but I've never ever had a slice of pizza cut quite like a Donato slice is sliced.
2: It's our party style. So you can have more people enjoy the pizza. And it is it's interesting, but it's a little bit more common here, probably in the Midwest. But good news is we're coming back to Atlanta. We have two stores opening up in the next couple of weeks.
1: Well, I'll be looking for that. All right. So tell us a little bit more now about the progress in the more recent years. And looking back over the early days of the reacquisition, how did you do in staying true to form? And I want to ask you about the Undercover Boss <laughs> episode that you did, was that, maybe 2012 or 13?
2: In 2014, yeah.
1: Because if, I saw something in that little clip that, aside from agape capitalism, I saw compassionate capitalism. I watched you almost come out of character to fire somebody, but... Okay. Instead, you gave a second chance and a lesson. You talk about compassionate leadership. That was an amazing thing to
2: see. Well, thank you. Yeah, culture's hard, right? But it's also ever-changing, just like families. But there is a soul. There's some connective tissue that really helps people stay connected to the company because your company truly is, you know, it's just a name unless you bring it to life with your people. And so I would say we've had ups and downs. And when we bought it back, I think we had this rallying cry. And I had been our chief people officer for, gosh, a long time, 20, 30 years. I became our COO and then president. And you can watch as you grow, you have growing pains. And how you keep a culture healthy, I'll say healthy, not not keep it the way it was, is challenging, but it's the same as building a building or selecting the right franchise partner. It's a process and you have to be intentional about it and you have to put things in place that recognize reward, still continue to lift up the values that you're grounded on. And our values are, I love food, which is integrity, loving, open-minded, of service and discipline, and making sure that everything we do, our reviews reflect our values, our performance reviews, we give out promise and actions that reflect our values. We give promise pins, our promises to serve the best pizza and make someone's day a little better. So all of the processes that you put in place in your business have to be grounded in the purpose and what you're founded on and your values that doesn't give you a 100% guarantee that's gonna all come to life. And it's about the people that you have in place. And I think our biggest lessons have been when you know someone isn't a culture fit. If you don't act fast, you're sending a message that those behaviors are acceptable. And one person can really do a lot of damage in a culture of a company if they're allowed to do it for a period of time without taking action. And sometimes you think, oh, well, we're just going to give them one more chance, or we're going to try to work with that person. And then unfortunately, you end up sending a message to the rest of the team that that's the kind of performance you're looking for. I always say you know, the hardest people to have become alumni, which is what we call alumni, are the high performers, but low core values. And obviously, you want everybody to have high core values and high performance. And even if they have high core values, but a lower performance, you work with those people all day long, because that's building the culture. But it's the low core values, when you start accepting it, that really kind of creep into the culture. I'd
1: love for you to share with the audience the difference I'm presuming it might make when you have the kind of leadership development that you deploy at Donato's and you wind up in an economy like we've been in where people can't find people to work. I've got to believe it's a little bit different and that you're not struggling with that problem quite as badly as somebody who might lose an hourly employee for 25 cents an hour. I can't imagine that people would be leaving your culture and your environment for that kind of a raise. Well,
2: I wish I could confirm that as a very true statement we are not having people leave for a quarter and those that have have come back and interesting you say that we we are facing staffing issues just like the rest of our world especially in the restaurant economy and the thing that we just got done, I was just having a meeting with some of our people that are out doing, and actually my daughter, who's our third generation who joined the business and my son joined the business as a third generation, but out talking to our people and asking them, we're doing stay interviews and exit interviews, just like most people. But even the people that are leaving and the managers that have left, it has been because they're exhausted. And so uh, two years ago, we implemented nice. the bad goal program after COVID hit and I had managers that had been with us for 30 years just say, I'm going to go take an $8 an hour job somewhere because I'm exhausted. I'm tired of the changes. I'm tired of putting masks on, taking them off, do the temperatures. Like I'm tired of the way, unfortunately, customers are treating us. And they were just tired and So my dad and I decided to implement, and my husband, a sabbatical program to give our managers, if they've been here for 30 years, a total of 15 weeks where they can take time and just rejuvenate. And so that was an important recognition. But here, I think all of us thought we were going to head into this year and really be able to excel. And now we're in this place of potential recession and staffing issues. And so it's right now the touch points with people are the most important times that we could be doing. And then, kind of given that we've implemented more mental health, we did a round table to ask them what they wanted more of. And everybody said mental health and gym membership. So, how do you be more well rounded and help people emotionally, spiritually, and physically? And so, we did uh, mental health help with headspace, sabbaticals, and health memberships
1: I'd take my hat off to some of those tired managers and the stories that I've heard, not just from Pizza World, but just anybody in retail and especially in food through COVID, tons of people, good people just got burned out yeah, yeah. and working twice and three times as hard and sometimes in ridiculous hours. And did you guys have to reduce your hours at all during COVID or were you able to continue to operate normal business the as first, usual?
2: The first year we did not. So as a central workforce, we did not at all. And then we got into the second year of it and people were getting tired. So we did sabbaticals. And so many of our stores closed on a Monday for a whole month just to give our managers another day yeah. off. We've reduced hours mostly for a, a sense of reprieve and given people a little bit of help. We Or we have closed the dining room when we were required to do that. So not so much today, but heading into the end of last year and June of last year was really, really challenging.
1: We've got to leave some room here to have some time to talk about philanthropy because I know that That's a part of the bucket list that we wanted to check off for today's conversation. So what can you tell us about corporate charity and how much of that flows from the head office down or those decisions that individual franchisees make in their own marketplaces? But I know philanthropy is just ingrained in your DNA.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. And most of that is just, again, standing under the sign with my dad listening to how we're going to make a difference in every single community. And about seven years ago, we were approached by the mayor of our city to really take a hard look in the south side of Columbus, which is where our first store was. And there was a lot of uh, just disparity going on. Unemployment was 18 and a half percent. One in four houses were boarded up. And he kind of just asked for a champion, asked my dad to be a champion for the south side and doing something different. And so in the way that it goes, you have time, talent, and treasure. And my dad said, I'll do the treasure, Jane. you go spend your time figuring out what to do. So it wasn't me that did it, but a whole group of really smart people got around the table. And a really good friend of mine, Tanny Crane, who I say we co-founded it, and some other business leaders here in the community, Don Kelly, who's a developer, really said, what are we going to do to make a difference? And so we surveyed our neighborhood in the south side of Columbus and asked our neighbors what they needed. And they came back with five things. And it was safety, affordable housing, access to healthcare, a job, and education. And so so We went to work with this group of people where we've touched over 200 homes and renovated homes and started a lease-to-own program for affordable housing. The city built an access to health center and then went to work on the safety. And our group, Tani and I, raised about $16 million to renovate an old school building. Six million of it is an endowment. And in that, we have 14 different nonprofits all housed. And we have a learning center that serves infants through five-year-olds, over 118 kids. We have Boys and Girls Club there. They have over 100 children from the age of 5 to 19, after-school program and summer program. And then we, we have a whole adult workforce program. So if you saw Undercover Boss, you know we're passionate about giving second chances. So we have people re uh, programming going on, helping people find jobs, do their resumes. All those nonprofits are all dedicated to help people find a good living wage job. We have STNA training for uh, certified nurses. We have coding technology training. So all of that is housed in one space, and we call it Reeb Avenue Center, and it's really a hub of hope. So. It kind of sparked the, how do you do this in every community? How do we give back in every community in a way that really can lift the community up? So we started our foundation at Donato's, which is Love Our Neighbor. And we do that through housing, hunger, and health. And we have, those are the three pillars. So our first pillar is housing, where we work with Habitat for Humanity, but we're able to do it locally. So all of our franchise partners in our 27 states can give back locally to their neighborhood. So it is a roundup program and a match program from our foundation. And we're working on hunger right now. And all of our franchise partners are giving back to their local food banks and then serving in the community as well. So it's not just the treasure, it's also the talent and how do we give back by literally volunteering in our community and giving back every single day. Our third pillar is health. And we focus on mental health here at Donato's. A lot of our partners pick their own health that they want because sometimes that's really personal, right? So whether it's cancer survivor or, or breast cancer or any of the type of health that people would like to give back to, the franchise partners give back in their own community that way under the umbrella of Love Our Neighbor.
1: Talking about franchise partners, we've got to conclude today talking a little bit about your franchise opportunity and who it is that you look for, who is the ideal franchisee and where do you find them?
2: Well, we just brought on a franchise salesperson and we just hired our president. His name is Kevin King and he grew Smoothie King and Papa Murphy's and he actually went to middle school with him. He used to work here a long time ago. and he I is... know
1: that Kevin King. Do you? I do.
2: Congratulations. Awesome. Yes. We're very thrilled to have him on board. I've known him since I was a kid. And so he started our franchise department actually. And then when we bought it back, he went and grew Papa Murphy's and Smoothie King. So the first step was bring him back and he's created a development strategy. My husband has been instrumental in really growing our Red Robin and our franchise since we bought it back. And we're now 396 stores in 27 states. And a lot of that work has been through Red Robin. Robin and really crafting a deal that is a win-win-win. So what we are looking for, because I always go back to the story about why franchising works and why I believe we that's our growth strategy. Personally, I walked into, after we bought the company back, I walked into one of our restaurants and a district manager who used to oversee the three stores bought those three stores and sales had been down for a while and I had been visiting the store, et cetera. When I walked in and I looked at Harold and I was just like, talk, talk to me like, what are you doing differently? Like, Your sales have totally turned around, your profits are better. Food costs." is better. Everything's better. The energy in the store is better. And a driver walked by and pulled money out of his pocket. He said, I'll tell you what's different. He said, this is his money. And I know him and I see him and I care about him. And I was kind of like, well, don't you care about me? But he didn't in the sense that he doesn't know me. I'm not in his store every day. And so part of building culture through your franchise partners is first and foremost, selecting the right person. So there's a lot of people out there with money. It's about finding the right person for us that's aligned with our values. And so we have an internal franchise sales department now, and we are being a lot more selective in where we're recruiting but also building out ghost kitchens and non-traditional franchising opportunities also.
1: We are at the place in the interview where it's time for me to ask you, Jane, what have I not asked you yet that you wished I did?
2: Oh, well, I I have three children and three stepchildren, so blended family. And I have three grandchildren and two of my three on um, my husband's son are in the business. So I'm looking forward to continuing to grow a family business because I know it has to be intentional after the second generation. And that is something that I'm really putting my efforts towards to make sure we do it the right way and growth strategy.
1: How about some contact information?
2: Absolutely. So my email to For easy, it's janeatdonatus.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Jane Grody Abel. I have written a book. It's called The Missing Piece. If anyone's interested, it is on our website. And it is all about really our entire story, undercover boss and our nonprofit. My four C's that I talk about in leadership, which is character, courage, conviction, and compassion. So I appreciate that you said that word earlier today.
1: You've got a website as well, don't you?
2: Yes, I do have. Yeah, I do have a website. Thank you. I have a website uh, on janegradyable.com.
1: Terrific. I've enjoyed this immensely, and I really, really appreciate how open and candid you are and how transparent you are. And it's a breath of fresh air to know that you grew up in the family business, and now you and your husband are still coming home to the family business after a full day in the family business as well. This has really been a joy, and I can't thank you enough for sharing so much with the audience here on Franchise today.
2: Well, thank you. It was an honor to be asked. You have done amazing work yourself, and I will continue to listen to you and seek you out for some speaking opportunities.
1: Thank you for that. And thanks again for being here, Jane. Thank you. Well, that's all she wrote for this week. But next week, it's yet another undercover boss when college hunks hauling junk and moving co-founder and CEO Nick Friedman makes his way to us with another inspiring story of humble beginnings that have led to a wildly successful franchise brand and how about a quick trivia fact in addition to undercover boss nick and partner omar solomon were actually the very first guests on the very first episode of Shark Tank back in the day. He'll tell us all about that and more next week. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out.